Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joined today by Rich Rebar of Sharp Football Analysis. Rich is one of my favorite people in the industry. He is one of the most knowledgeable guys, numbers-based, uh, can really handle any topic. Um, one of the few people, I'd say, who probably talks faster than I do on a podcast. So if anyone is listening and they're thinking about cranking it up to 2x, 2.5x, you may need to, to moderate a little bit a little bit on this one. But what that really means is he packs in more knowledge and info than anyone else out there. So, Rich, thank you for joining me. Oh, I'll take it. That's a that's a gracious intro. Uh, yeah, I do try to ruin all those two X listeners out there. So if you are someone cranking it up, at least try to put the put the heat on you and make you try to go back and re-listen. Yeah, yeah. I have a funny story where my my wife works in uh, podcasting and through like the mm-hmm. NPR sort of sort of route um, in, in doing podcasting there. So of course it's like more highly produced sort of stuff. So I went to I'm I'm doing some I'm going to do some like name dropping here who is if people care. So I went to a wedding for actually the publisher of the New York Times. So the the guy who owns the guy's like the family the Salzberger family and there were some people there who host podcasts. So I was asking them kind of to to purposefully annoy them whether or not they cared if people listened to their podcast at like one and a half two times and you could tell they were clearly disturbed by the concept that's that people would be like taking their 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 treasured baby and listening to it at 2x or or one and a half times but i had to i had, I had to put that out there and at least put it in their head so they tried to be gracious and say they didn't care but it was pretty clear that uh they don't like that so again we're going to be talking fast here you may have to crank it down um, but free agency is here. Now, originally I talked to you about coming on to talk a little bit really on the quantitative side on modeling for uh, rookies, which is another big thing. Uh, being as uh, you know, unaware as I am of what's going on, I kind of forgot about the, the, the legal tampering. I forgot about the legal, the, 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 tampering, the legal tampering starting off. So we've already had a lot going on in free agency. So we can discuss, we're going to discuss that stuff instead. But because we want to make this big picture. We don't want to get too much into the minutia of every single deal and analyzing it too much. I also want to think about, like, from a thematic standpoint, how much we read into these different signings and maybe go through position by position as to how important they are. And, of course, we'll get into the specifics of what we've seen so far. So why don't we start at the top of the, the offensive side at the quarterback position and you know, Dak resigns, so not a big, huge deal there. Uh, Cam Newton looks like he may or may not be back. I think we'll talk about maybe the Patriots a little bit more in regards to their pass catchers because they had a lot going on there. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic. Uh, l- 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 I want to talk about him a little bit because just generally, when you see someone like this come in, so an average quarterback, let's say, come into a situation where the quarterback play was generously saying bottom 10 type of quarterback play, probably even worse than that, uh, expecting what's going on to next season with Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen. How much does this move the needle for you when you're thinking about that offense? And, of course, you have some very important players within that offense, uh, Terry McLaurin being the biggest one, but also the emergence of Logan Thomas last year and then Antonio uh, Gibson in the backfield. Yeah, this is a, a unique situation. Obviously, you know, Washington kind of, backdooring into the playoffs last year may have hurt them, you know, from this context of being able to get a quarterback this season, you know, if they're picking 11 instead of 19, 
is that pick more incentivized in a trade offer to make a play for a Deshaun Watson or getting a Russell Wilson sweepstakes? I know he wasn't on Russell Wilson's list of teams that you would accept a trade to. But, you know, by them kind of winning the division, having picked 19, they don't really have a lot of draft capital to select one of those top 10 quarterbacks or the draft capital to kind of move that pick. Or it's really exciting, you know, offering pick 19 to the Texans. They're not, they're not probably not that excited about that, you know, as opposed to if potentially talking to the Jets about number two or the Dolphins about number three. Uh, and then, you know, you, you look at this Washington team and how it's built. Uh, they're built to kind of win right now. You know, they're, the, the offensive line is great and it's intact. The defensive line is great and it's intact. They're really good on both, both trenches. They haven't invested any really significant capital or any type of monetary commitment to any offensive skill players at all. I mean, you know, Terry McLaurin is a third round pick. Uh, you know, Gibson was a third round pick. Everyone that touched the ball for them last year at a high rate, uh, you know, Antonio Gibson, Terry McLaurin, and then Logan Thomas and J.D. McKissick were basically veteran men signings and free agency last year. So they haven't really invested any money uh, into any of those skill players. Um, so, but they're built to win now. Uh, maybe we'll see them, you know, now use that, start some of that capital to, to strap out, pick 19 on a wide receiver or make a play for a Will Fuller or, or one of these wide receivers that are still floating out there. But they really kind of moved themselves out of being able to get a quarterback. I mean, there was no quarterback to get in free agency with, like you said, with Dak resigning. Um, so what do you do here? We're kind of in no man's land. Uh, so, you know, you're not, it's a kick the can situation, but Ryan Fitzpatrick is a guy that they can get kind of production out of and, you know, make another postseason run. Now, is he, is that kind of enough though for you? Like, is it going to be like getting to the playoffs and having maybe winning one playoff game? Is that enough for people? Are they, are they a legit Super Bowl contender? Probably not still. You, you're seeing them be able to get hot in like a four game stretch in the playoffs potentially could happen but probably not you know Fitzpatrick will turn 39 years old this November he's coming off a career high completion rate career high, uh, his yard to pass attempt was his third highest mark in his career but one thing about Fitzpatrick is he's been kind of like a you know that that gunslinger and he's always been in these teams that are consistently chasing points it's interesting to see him play like within structure if Washington's a team that's you know has leads uh and trying to you know protect the football and kind of not in this just kind of you know hyper-aggressive mindset like Brian Dresch has been in on these recent rosters he's been on. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, kind of that dynamic. We saw a little bit of that last year when Miami had a lot of wins uh, early in the season, and, and you know he wasn't really just throwing the ball all over the yard like he was in previous years. But we've also seen from Ryan Fitzpatrick because of his nature of play, you know, tying in the fantasy in his hyper-aggressive nature is that guys, he elevates talent around him. Now it's easy to say, like when you played with Stevie Johnson and Mike Evans and Brandon Marshall, like those guys are good. But then when you go down to the other resume, he's had, he's made best uh, seasons out of guys like David Nelson, Kendall Wright, Quincy Anunwa. He's the guy that was attached to a guy that helped Devontae Parker break out. Obviously a skill set fits a, a guy like Devontae Parker really well. That's going to win in contested catch situations over separation. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic. I, I, I want to see what the, what Washington now does adding fits right away uh what they do now to round out the rest of this offensive uh you know the, the skill players around him but it's kind of one of those things where it allows them to kind of just like keep things where they are on on schedule for a year uh because they weren't in a position to get a quarterback and then can build off of it from here this season yeah i mean i think going back in time you've mentioned how he's elevated people i mean 2015 uh new york jets fits i believe it was 2015 maybe it was 2014 i think it was 2015 that was probably one of the better situations. It was so narrow, that passing game, when it came to Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall. I think Decker had, like, at least 
10 fantasy points every single game during that season because he seemed to always get a touchdown or or get the volume that he needed every single week. Uh, but when you think about these guys, right, you think about Decker, you think about Brandon Marshall, you think about uh, Devontae Parker, the other names you're listing, Quincy Inunua, these are bigger receivers, not, you know, your separation guys, guys who perhaps, I mean, if you want to take a theory for why they fit with Fitzpatrick is, Fitzpatrick's willing to throw the ball to someone who was covered. He's willing to look for those back shoulder, those contested catch sort of things. Where does Terry McLaurin fit with that? And does that make the natural fit? And I think some people are saying this is like, if they can get someone like a Kenny Galladay, perhaps, I mean, you mentioned, you know, Will Fuller and other guys are out there, you know, is someone like that who they would want to bring in? Or do you not want to read too much into it? Do you think Fitzpatrick, because of the, his, his aggressiveness, it's really going to filter to whoever it may be, even if it is a Terry McLaurin type? Yeah, I think so, because we have Deshaun Jackson sample, too, as well. You know, guys yeah. that can get downfield at speed. I think that what, it, what you know, Fitz does, he helps those guys that, that can't win with quarterbacks, that can't, that aren't willing to throw into tight windows and have to see throws to make them. You know, you think of guys like Anunua and Devontae Parker, why he struggled early in his career playing with a guy like Ryan Tannehill who needs the C throws to make them, uh, you know, that, that helped a guy like Devontae Parker break out. So he does help those types. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see what they add with their roster because you look at it, we've got Terry McLaurin. We've got these ancillary guys. Logan Thomas is already 30 years old. You know, a lot of people just think of him as a guy that broke out, a young player, you know, but he transitioned from quarterback to tight end, uh, bounced around multiple teams. J.D. McKissick was uh, another guy that bounced around the league a little bit. Uh, so, I mean, where is the real investment going to come? Uh, when, are, when are we going to get some real, like, assets kind of added to this offense? Because everything else is in place, like I said. I mean, this, this offensive line is really good, um, but we need some more playmakers uh, to, to really, I think, to kind of push the tide here because you need to score points eventually. You know, you get in the playoffs and they got, you know, a, a performance they probably weren't expecting out of Tyler Heineke. But even how good, however good your defense is, you have to anticipate, like, eventually, especially in the postseason, that someone's going to score 30, 31 points upon you, and you're going to have to combat that at some point in the postseason. And, you know, Washington wasn't able to do that. They give up over 30 points. They came like the Bucks. So, for me, I mean, it, it still kind of keeps them in this on track of, like, being able to build around the score of this team. But, like, is it also kind of a purgatory situation? Like, are they? Are, how do they now put themselves in position to get a quarterback? Because now Ryan Fitzpatrick probably is, is not going to be bad enough to get you there. They might be, you know, competing for the division, pushing for eight to 10 wins again, kind of in that area. And like, are you now in 2021 or 2022 is the Canvan kick to where, what are we doing now? Now we have a quarterback that is going to be going on 40. We rock back in a one-year deal, depending how he played. Like, so now how does Washington upgrade at quarterback? They're really in a tough spot, I think, organizationally of trying to land in a position to get a really strong quarterback. Yeah, yeah. I remember when Fitzpatrick was signed by the Dolphins two off seasons ago, there was, you know, your tank gifts and other things that were mm-hmm. coming in because that was the Dolphins. I remember my initial reaction was like, this is not a tank. This is not a tank quarterback pick. Um, he was coming in after Tannehill had left. I mean, number one, I didn't realize Tannehill was going to blow up, but I thought, is he is he any worse than Tannehill? I don't know. Like, if they would have said, you know, we're going to bring uh, Bros- uh, Brock Osweiler back for another year, that would have been like, okay, <laughs> you're in. You're in on the tank, but you're right. Like, he's not the tank guy. So Washington had that number two pick last year, right? Like, that was it. Mm-hmm. That was your quarterback pick. Um, of course, we would have said probably, I don't know about you, but I would have probably said to take Tua, even though I wasn't as low on Herbert as some others. Now, whether that was great or not, we don't really, it's still to be determined, but obviously you'd rather have Justin Herbert at this point than, than, than have Tua. But that was really the chance. So I think you're right. They're stuck, but 
again, if you're stuck, you kind of have to just write it. You have to get, you have to go for yep. it, right? Like, what are you yeah. going to do? Are you going to really going to bring Taylor Heineke out there every single every single week? And that has disaster written all over it. I mean, Fitzpatrick has potential disaster written all over it. But in that NFC East, in the NFC generally, where you know who are we talking about as the top quarterbacks in the NFC right now? I mean, Aaron Rodgers, who had this this comeback year. We'll see if he comes back down to earth. Russell Wilson struggling a little bit. I mean, who else other than that? Tom Brady, you know, ninety year old Tom Brady and some other guys. There's not a whole lot going on in that conference. So if there was a division and a conference to say, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna try for it. We blew our chance last year, and we're we're kind of pot committed at this point. It seems like the play. Yeah, when you look at the NFC landscape, I mean, they're in the in the quarterback landscape in general. All the young guys are in the AFC. Yeah, you know, yeah all the talent on that side. Dak's in the middle, you know, middle twenties, mm-hmm. but which is fine. It's a big, long leash at quarterback the way the position's played now nowadays. And Kyler, and that's like really kind of it. Like everyone else is, uh, you know, you're not. Forgot Ryan's about Kyler. Or, apologies, apologies <laughs> to Kyler because I was a little you know, off on him last year, which I think ended up being right, <laughs> even though his rushing was insane. Was was really crushing me those first uh, handful. Yeah, he's of games. still been basically a baseline, like right around league average passer. Still, yeah. And like we yeah. haven't seen that. We haven't seen that part of his game elevate obviously the rushing carries so much weight in the fantasy world and, and kind of gets those numbers where he's still unproductive on that stretch stance both of the seasons but yeah there's still a lot to be proved i think from a passing angle on kyler and a lot of metrics show that as well um they're a team that needs them to completely flush out what they've got going on in offense too they took one step of giving him deandre hopkins but there's a lot outside of deandre hopkins that needs work done but yeah matt ryan uh matthew stafford uh drew drew Reason now retires Winston's kind of a, in no man's land. Uh, the, all the all the young talents in the AFC. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's okay. Maybe the transition now to talking quarterbacks about the Saints. Um, my inclination is has been, and I was getting a little bit annoyed by the the Winston love. It was one of these things where, like, I, I'm always off of what the consensus is, right? So a couple of years ago, when Jameis Winston was like dead to everyone, I was kind of like, hey, you know, this guy has done everything well other than turn the ball over constantly, right? But he, but he showed something in his ability to make play. So he's not the most boring quarterback that you could, that you could ever have there. Um, then he just continued to turn the ball over for another couple of, <laughs> couple of seasons. But somehow people like him now. Somehow people like him. I don't know if it's the slimmed down version, it's the, the LASIK, uh, what they're expecting from him this year. But I still think this is going to be a downgrade. And when I look at New Orleans, um, I mean, well, number Ryan one, I think Taysom right? Hill, what you say? Like he's he's new Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? Like, I'm not it, sure he's even as good as necessarily as Fitzpatrick. I mean, I think it's, it's just, like there's a threshold for turnovers. I don't care how well you do everything else, you can't throw 30 interceptions in a season in today's NFL. Right. You, you you just can't do it. I'm sorry, it just doesn't work. Um, you're giving up such good field position that unless you're playing against unless your defense is that awesome in it, you know, game in and get out, it, it, it's just too much. It's just too much to overcome. I mean, it's great for fantasy for 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 the receivers but at the same point in time we've only seen him play with pretty stacked wide receivers i mean look at tom brady who stepped into the same situation tom brady went yep. from the the gallows in new england from what he was dealing with there and then all of a sudden he's playing you know he's a super bowl winning quarterback and and played pretty well so new orleans you know you think of them as being this high powered offense but 
you know, what what do they got really? I mean, they got they got Camara. That's great. It's a running back. Let's not forget that. And you know, there's only so much you're really going to do for a quarterback. There, you have Michael Thomas, who now I think the opinion is dropped back down, maybe below, maybe undervalued at this point, but it's definitely mm-hmm. like I, I definitely think he was overvalued as far as the numbers he's able to put up with Drew Brees in the in that system. And then around him, you know, n- not a whole lot going on other than having a good offensive line, which would help someone like like Winston, but I don't know if it's the, the main element for him. So what do you think about the quarterback situation here? Are, are you pretty confident in Winston? Is he someone you'd be confident as, as being the starter? And if he is a starter, how do you think he can produce there? Yeah, I'm kind of, uh, you know, one foot in, one foot out a little bit just because, you know, obviously with, a, with more of a fantasy background and yeah. how he performs in a real football field, I mean, he is exciting. Like almost like I said, he's Fitzpatrick in a sense, like he'll, he'll create more possessions for his own team uh, and, and do things like that. That's what happened, you know, the year before. I mean, you look at the, you know, that the, the, that was the highlight of why they, the Bucks wanted to pursue Tom Brady, whether not knowing he had his, in his range of outcomes turning in the season he did last year, they just didn't want to turn the ball over as much as they did. Yeah. Bruce Arians yeah, was open yeah. about it. Uh, it takes years off of the a NFL. coach's life. I think when that sort of stuff is happening. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Bucks the previous year. I mean, they're they're super high in the NFL in plays in plays per game. They were number one in possessions per game because of that they're trading possessions, and you don't have that. It gets drilled in, and I believe that's why the Saints midseason last year chose to go with Taysom Hill. The Saints and Sean Payton like they want to play structured offense. They they just do. Uh, and you know, Jameis comes in in that 49ers game. He almost throws two balls right at he threw two balls right at I think it was Jimmy Ward. And yeah, yeah. in the next in the next week, they go to Taysom Hill as a starter. And is it the most electric offense? No, but you know what it was? It was structured. They they had a clear game plan of what they wanted to do with Taysom Hill, and they did that. They were able to do that all four weeks and they were productive. They, they believe they went three and one in those games with him. They ended up losing to, to Jalen Hurts in his first start uh in the eagles but they were able to play structured offense now i just don't know if Jameis is going to allow you to ever play structured offense uh you know so it's it's gonna be one of those things like does does he really if he does get a chance to start i believe that they kind of want him to see if he does get there because he's more of a traditional passer than Taysom hill maybe offers you a lot more offensive versatility but on the same stance, like I said, like this is a team that has like a, a an adequate defense in place. Uh, they always typically get hot at the end of the year. They've got a really good offensive line, um, and they've got two guys in Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas that are in you know the the upper echelon of at least their position in terms of talent and, and what they're paying those guys. Um, so I do believe that they still want to be structured in a way on offense, and that I think that's the little bit of pause that that that. Winston gives them plus you also have the dynamic too if you're coming in from a fantasy stance like no matter what if Winston wins the job Taysom still he's not just a backup like he's still always going to be involved even as the backup whereas like you know you have a quarterback competition and a quarterback wins it's his job Taysom is still going to come in the goal line he's still going to be like this kind of uh guy that's going to get plays called for him uh so that also lowers the upside a little bit too of Winston compared to previous destinations he's been at and offense he's been around uh so I'm probably a little bit lower than the consensus that are still hanging on to that those upside camp bay days so I just don't believe that, that that the Saints want to play that style of football and Willie would really are going to rein in their offense looks that's just what they do yeah yeah I mean and everyone who was saying uh Jameis Winston equals like fun um I suggest they go back and watch the uh, the Bucks Panthers the second time that they played in 2019. I remember it was a national televised game. Maybe it was a London game. I don't remember. It was it was bad. It was a it five was interception game. Yeah. game. <laughs> it was a five interception game, and it was not fun. 
It was not fun at all. It was it was it was like he threw them out of the game fairly early and then just continued to do it. And it was like there were maybe some empty stats. I think that's what I think. Did everyone bet on Jameis Winston uh, to win the the passing yardage title in 2019? I think that's what happened. I think the yeah. collective community all <laughs> that was like the chalkiest bet ever, and he hit. And now there's like this residual love that 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 comes from to Jameis Winston because of something like that. Um, but you know, it's interesting the Taysom Hill Hill thing. I remember and everyone loved Godwin, so like he helped Godwin. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. so it was like yeah, as by proxy, transitive property. He was loved because he made Godwin happen when everyone was everyone in the grandma loved Godwin. Yeah, yeah. So he had those two <laughs> things going on. I remember last off season, I wrote this thing, which I probably should have just waited and, and written it. This it was like a preemptive thing of saying the future of the Bucks and I'm not the Bucks of the Saints. And you know, I don't know if I was really being that serious, but I was saying it wasn't Jameis Winston or. Um, or uh, Taysom Hill, it was Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill, and kind of like this quarterback by committee that they could run between the two of them. I don't think any, they'll actually do that, but if you were going to do something like that, I mean, I could see, at least early in the game, really yep. kind of leaning on Taysom, honestly, yes. in a lot of these situations, and you say, we have the defense, we have whatever, let's lower the variance, right? Let's keep this variance down early in the game. Let's see where we are. If things get away from us, or if we need to convert third and longs and other things that 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 we may that we you know you know you, you like James Winston's going to be your guy to throw to the sticks right <laughs> whatever whatever you need to throw it and when you're throwing on third down an interception just doesn't hurt as much um, as long as they're not running back for a touchdown which James is, is kind of good at but the interception doesn't hurt as much as it does when James is just going to throw these things on like the very first play of a game on first and ten or something like that so. Maybe they'll do something like that. Maybe they'll try to have the, the two of these guys play play against each other. But I think it's foolish to think at some point in time during the season, James is not going to take a seat on that bench um, if he is made the starter because he's just you're just going to keep on rolling the dice and you're going to get one of those four interception games, five interception games, and the talk is going to come out about what to do with the team that people are used to winning with the team too, and now they're shedding talent and everything else. So I think it's just going to be a a, a tough situation for for him um, because again I, I don't see the talent as being that great around him at this at this point in time. Um, look, let's talk let's talk receivers here, and I guess we'll talk first on the Patriots, who I mentioned before, since they brought in they remade every <laughs> everything here. Now we got um, luckily for the tape, we know that Hunter Henry is there in addition to John U. Smith. They kind of look like they got similar contract, which I thought was interesting. That that Smith um, an extra year and a little bit bumped up in those in those numbers. So they got John U. Smith and Hunter Henry. They brought in Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar. Bourne on a three year deal, Aguilar on a two year deal. I mean, all these contracts, other than the top top free agents, these are all like glorified one or two year deals anyway. So this is not a right. remaking of the franchise. This is more let's get some competent players around, presumably Cam Newton, um, and see what what we can do going forward. Okay, let, let me get the let me get the thoughts about what do you think about this passing game just generally now with all of these pieces? Is it enough to to, to piece together kind of the breadth of the passing game here? Uh, I don't know if Julian Edelman's going to be back. I know he's someone when I'm doing these early season best ball drafts, I'm kind of tempted to take in the last round because he was being drafted in the 40s last year, but maybe he's going to retire or something, so it doesn't really matter. You know, Jacoby Myers, maybe. Uh, Nikhil Harry, uh, RIP, uh, I, I think, is just what is what's going on here. So what 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 do you think generally about what's going on with, with how they're restructuring this passing game? 
It's unique. I would definitely love to know the the process of this, uh, the discussions. I would love to know if they told Johnny Smith at the signing too that they were going to pursue Hunter Henry. Or I was, was wondering like the win. same thing. I was wondering the same like, thing, and I think no. Like how does sure. how does Johnny <laughs> feel today? I want to know how Johnny feels. I think no is fairly safe on that on that <laughs> assumption, um, but who knows. Yeah, I would love to know if that when Johnny signed, they would say, "Hey, well, we're also just going to try to bring Hunter Henry in too, uh, yeah. bring that." I would also love to just know the process too on the the Aguilar signing. Like, was that a contract that they and Bourne in general? You know, not to talk about the minutia of those deals because they're not, you know, like you said. And when when people drop the initial figures, it's always way less dynamic than what it looks like on the surface. But I would just love to know the process. Did they did they highlight those guys as day one guys? Like these are the two guys that we want to fit our offensive system and go pursue those guys. Did they kick the tires on the contract that they offered Aguilar? Did they try to offer that to someone to, to another wide receiver? Um it's very intriguing. I would just love to know like peek behind the curtain, be a fly on the wall and that that process of between all of us, the, the tight ends and these wide receivers. Um, obviously, you know, the lowest hanging branch people are going to try to do the Gronk Aaron Hernandez thing. Obviously these are two players that one's not the arguably the best player to position in NFL history, uh, and whatever Aaron Hernandez is pacing to be, which was a very good player. I mean, these are two guys that we can definitely agree on there. Uh, that there's talent here between Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, but these are also two players that haven't really provide, you know, top level production at their position as well either over the years. And you think about Herbert, a guy we just touched upon a little bit blowing up last year, Hunter Henry did not go along for that ride a year ago. Uh, his A dot was the lowest that's been in his career. His guards with Harder the lowest they've been in his career. Um, John is a guy that's been saddled in these, you know, run first offenses, and he's been more of a blocker than tight end. Uh, last year, he was 52nd in the NFL in routes run per snap, uh, 32nd amongst all tight ends in total routes run per game. And he's trading a Titans offense from that was low volume to a Patriots offense that the early signal it's going to be low volume as well because every offense that Cam Newton has been attached to has played bully ball. Uh, you know, his highest amount of pass attempts in a season is 517. Uh, he's eclipsed 500 pass attempts and just twice in his career. And he's played on three winning teams his entire career. It's just the nature of what he brings and what your offense is going to be structured as. You're not going to be high volume. Now, like you talked about, you hit upon a big word earlier as competency. And this this offense, they just had nobody last year. I mean, their high, their two highest targets are Jacoby Myers and Demir Bird. You know, they the past two years they've been the bottom of the league and throwing the ball to tight ends. So it's easy to say, like, yeah, we're going to get some mid-range targets the interesting dynamic though from cam newton and, and the narrative that surrounds cam newton and the way i've seen people already approach the way they built their teams cam newton actually struggled close to the line of scrimmage and on the intermediate levels and was actually pretty solid throwing downfield even to the, the vagabonds he had last year uh he was fifth in the nfl uh in completion rate and throws over 15 yards downfield of all quarterbacks that had 50 plus attempts he was 31st in the nfl on throws 15 yards in, in completion rate uh, he's, you know, a lot of people say, well, they got, they're building the Cam Newton strengths, you know, think about what Cam Newton's best game was last year. If you were to ask, you would say the Seattle game, right? You go back to that week, week two or week three Seattle game. And he was throwing all downfield and was on point. Like he was, he was throwing money balls that game. Uh, Edelman was feasting the second half of that game. Yeah, he was, it was, he was wild like, to see Edelman catching these passes. It was, yeah, I mean, he was that, was the first inc- that was the first inkling of like, uh, maybe this Jamal Adams signing is not because <laughs> you're getting roasted by Julian Edelman 35 yards down the field. Not a great sign. Yeah, but it's funny when you look at the narrative surrounding Cam Newton last year, he was actually he struggled more on rhythm throws and, and more near the line of scrimmage. Now, we can also tie that just potentially being the who they had and then all the circumstances that went into last year, you know, no offseason. Cam got COVID in the middle of the season. 
Uh, and then these guys are just better intermediate options anyways. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of a gray area. I don't think there's a lot of passing volume that, that's still going to be had as long as Cam Newton's starter. Maybe they bring in another quarterback at, at pick 15 now uh, that, that Cam passes the torch. We'll see. But, I mean, all indications seem to be that they're going to try to make this thing work for another year with Cam Newton and see where it goes. But I don't see it opening, them up, opening it really up for either guy to kind of break out. And these are two guys we've been waiting to break out. We've been waiting for Johnny Smith to break out. We've been waiting for Hunter Henry to break out. Now, Hunter Henry's been usable at tight end. He's been functional, but like he's never been a guy that's like a like crack top six. Like been a guy like you just every week are like, yeah, I'm excited to have Hunter Henry in my lineup this week. He's 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 providing so much positional leverage for me. He's never been that guy either while being functional. So I think it's really kind of hard for these guys to kind of get elevated. Uh, we've had what the past decade, there's been two tight end tandems that have been top 12 tight ends. Uh, just two years ago with Zach Ertz and Goddard, and like no one would have thought that too. Like you're considering a guy like Goddard that barely cracked into like tight end 12, was like a weekly starter. And then you go back to the 2011 Patriots with Bronk and Aaron Hernandez, and that's a team that threw 644 passes, which was third in the NFL, as opposed to a team that, you know, threw, you know, those 30th in passing plays last year, even fewer than the Titans, the team Johnny Smith left. Uh, so, I mean, it's really tough, I think, for them guys to have just kind of the requisite volume. It's a low bar at tight end to be relevant. So I can definitely see both guys still being relevant. And at the end of the season, both guys showing relevancy in the context of the position over the whole 17 week season or 18 week season, uh, which is going to be, but I still think on a weekly level, it's hard for either of these guys to kind of break out and be guys that you're really going to count on. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about, yeah, the whole thing with cam and like his best season. So the MVP year in 2015, I mean, Ted Ginn down the field was like a yep. big part of what of what he was doing there. And I know, you know, Lee Brown. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's just, again, a bunch of a bunch of no names. Right. So he's not necessarily someone who needs like this great intermediate receiving talent. I mean, he did kind of lean on uh, Greg Olson for for stuff like that throughout throughout his career. So maybe that the tight end fits into into that. I mean, he's one of these six, five guys. He can clearly see the middle of the field. Um, sometimes his throws outside, I think are a little bit iffy and, uh, on those intermediate routes. So maybe this will help clear up, clear up some of that, but, uh, how they use Nelson Aguilar, I think is interesting. I mean, Aguilar was one of those guys who I thought could be a good signing this offseason at 13 million per year. You know, maybe, maybe that's a little bit rich, um, compared to, I think he just took the, you know, a million last year, but he was third amongst players who had at least 50 targets last year. He was third in his a dot with the Raiders, with Derek Carr, right? So maybe he's going to be the guy who's stretching the field down there. I mean, he's not a burner, but he's a, he's a 4-4 and change sort of guy at the combine, and he was playing that role with the Raiders. So I could see that working somewhat. Um, I think it's just tough with Cam because last year I talked with uh, our mutual friend, J.J. Zacharyson, before the season. Cam was his value quarterback. I was in on that. Um, you know, uh, we're popping champagne bottles around week two, week three on that, <laughs> on that pick and talk about ugly football. The Patriots offense down the stretch was right up there as far as being the, some of the ugliest offense. You might rather watch, uh, you know, some non Joe Burrow Bengals offenses instead of watching that, that Patriots offense down the stretch. So yeah, it's just bringing it all together. I just don't know exactly what they're going to do, but maybe if they continue that run, run heavy game, it is going to be these bigger shots that they're going to take. They're going to run Cam Newton and just see if they can grind out some wins uh, since they have guys coming back on defense also. 
Yeah, absolutely. I believe that's the approach that they that they're going to take. Again, we just talked about it. You know, almost we talked about with James Winston. You know, just and Taysom Hill. You know, being able to stay in structure. And when the Patriots were out of structure last year, they had no chance. Like the yeah. offense that they played. You know, if you got a lead in the Patriots, it was a wrap. I mean, this is a team that threw 12 passing touchdowns. <laughs> Remember, they hung around with the Chiefs. Like they, they gave the Chiefs a game for like two and a half quarters in that game. They got moved and they and that like, yeah, yeah. Patrick Mahomes is all over the place in that game. He almost threw like four interceptions. And they're gonna get these pieces back, like you mentioned. I mean, the year before they had a historic defensive performance. We were expecting their aggress even with the you know the the talent that they had, and then they lose all those pieces. They obviously bring in Matt Judon yesterday too as well, you know, another edge rusher. Uh so I mean I believe the defense is gonna be more than competent. And we know that, you know, with Bill Belichick, I mean, he's he's a guy that we actually can play the transitive property like coaching game with and say, like, he's probably not gonna feel that it's like a horrendous defense uh with the pieces they has they've done it a couple times over his tenure but they've always kind of figured it out in season even when it's been kind of sloppy uh so i believe that they are they're going to play a game it's going to be low turnover low risk uh you know kind of really not try to limit limit variance like you said uh you know surrounding you know Jameis. that's the way they're going to play and i think that's the early signal it's going to be interesting to see what they do at 15 now uh, because you know, a lot of people were trying to say, could they were they going to be able to get a shot to move up? Maybe get Kyle Pitts, where Kyle Pitts was like their guy. Everyone's been trying to put tight ends in the Patriots for years, they finally hit this year. Uh, yeah, they finally, <laughs> they finally hit on all those. Yeah. You finally got it. They didn't even get one guy, they brought in two. Uh, so it's interesting to see the dynamic that they go with. But I believe that they're another team, like we talked about Washington, though. So I believe that this can work and they can win games and push to be, you know, a six, seven C. You know, I, I definitely don't believe they're as good as the Buffalo Bills right now in the division. So now how do you move on from Cam Newton? What's the avenue? Uh, you know, wh- how do we improve quarterback? Because they're another one of these teams. Like, yeah, what do you do if you're the Patriots? Yeah, you, of course, go for it. And their team has built up the culture of they, they're expected to win. And Bill Belichick's not probably looking in the mindset of, like, I'm not really looking to rebuild at this stage of my career. Uh, let another young coach do that. Uh, so, I mean, but how do the Patriots get out of this? How do they make the quarterbacks? How do they improve the quarterback situation? Because they're right now the eggs are in the basket of Cam Newton being better than he was last year. And I believe he can be, uh, but is he going to be a guy that's going to win titles for you, uh, which is expected in that neighborhood? Yeah. I'm kind of ambivalent on what they're going to do on, on quarterback because I've seen some takes that these moves uh, hint at them drafting a quarterback, but I was kind of thinking these moves hint to me, like I got two years, I'm 68 years old. I'm Bill Belichick. I got two years um, I'm not going to build another dynasty. Uh, yeah. I'm going to try to piece this together because I don't want to just leave now, right? I'm going to try to piece this together. Uh, and I'm going to put together a bunch of deals where for, on a one-year basis, they don't look good. They don't look good, these deals, right? But if they get a situation like what the Buffalo Bills had over the last few years where they signed a bunch of mid-tier free agents and they all s- suddenly hit, then those second years on those contracts look really look, look really good. And maybe you have something for a two-year window. So for, that makes me think, well, then they're just going to go with Cam Newton. Like they're not going to bring in a rookie who's going to be not going to be a top you know, top pick is not going to be Trevor Lawrence or something. It's going to be not going to be someone who's going to step in necessarily and be that good to start off with. Um, so that makes me think that, but at the same point in time, you know, if they really wanted to go all in and not care about the future and when you pile together a bunch of draft picks to move up, I guess maybe they could do that. But this whole thought of like, we're going to bring in Mac Jones or someone that just seems like a recipe for, for writing off 2021 in a, in an era where you need a quarterback who can move. We don't need, but you almost need a quarterback who can move as a rookie in order to, to function a competent offense. 
Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. So I believe, like I said, I think they're going to be, you know, record-wise right in the middle. They're definitely not going to be bad. And yeah. then, so, it's, yeah, how do you how do you get out of it? I'm not even sure this year, too, now that, you know, Mac Jones, the guy that's even going to be there at 15 at this rate. Uh, you do a lot of great work on, like, uh, really following kind of the ebb and flow of where these guys are, like, projected in these mock drafts and stuff like that. And I know Mac Jones has been a guy that he just keeps creeping up. Each one I see just keeps creeping up. His over-under keeps climbing uh of what pick he's going to be at so it'll be really interesting to see when we actually get to the draft you also had some guys like that in recent years that have have had the surge and then they don't go yeah uh, you know you think like drew lock like the year drew Locke, everyone was was really certain drew lock was going to be at least go at some point in the first round and just no one no one bid on that now mac jones is a way better prospect than, than drew clock from, from an analytical stance um and some of the tie like your first round eggs into, but he keeps climbing. So we'll see what kind of how it plays out. Uh, I do think that the, the, the teams want to pursue these mobile quarterbacks though. And he won't be able to get jump leapfrog guy like Lance uh, just because Lance offers so many outs at the next level. And, and even though fields has started to slide a little bit in perception, uh, he just offers too many. He's just, the, the strike zone is just so much wider. Whereas you know, Mac Jones is for him to hit his ceiling. You know, you're talking about like being like a Kirk Cousins guy and then maybe even another step beyond trying to be like a, a Drew Breezy and Tom Brady guy. Like that's a lot. That's a, that's a very thin strike zone to hit, uh, which is tough. Yeah, I mean, I would have um, if I was betting on these over unders, these Mac Jones over unders, I would have had like the most negative closing line value on it humanly possible because I would have just been like, I don't see it in the first round. And then that would I would have been way wrong there. And then I would say, well, I don't see it in the top you know, 20. And then I would have been wrong there. So you're right. It just keeps on going down further and further. And I don't know. It's like this weird situation where I feel like there's, there's a breadth of competent quarterback play throughout the league. Um, there are guys like Andy Dalton, maybe you're going to be in free agency, like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who we saw and some others. So, you know, there, there are guys you can bring in. So I thought maybe the Mac Jones types would fall because of that, because you can't credibly say this is going to be like the next Josh Allen difference maker type of guy but uh, clearly i was wrong there uh at least according it's to, interesting to, to see the feelings too, it's interesting to see, to see too how teams approach this next breath of quarterback contracts uh given the jared goff and carson wentz you know contracts and they were like you said they, they had a, a level of proven competency but were those guys that the organizations were really completely sold on but you don't want to go back to qb purgatory so you give those guys deals uh we've got a couple of guys coming up you know josh allen's coming off of that you know career season Lamar's coming up, Baker Mayfield's coming up. Uh, they're all probably going to be in that same, you know, kind of, you know, area of, of Wenstein and golf type deals. Lamar probably even a step above and now Josh Allen probably a step above, you know, it's crazy, crazy to think about that jump Josh Allen made. I mean, I don't even think the bills thought that was, you know, potentially possible from a passing stance and hopefully that doesn't give a lot of false hope to someone like Daniel Jones. I've already seen people already comparing Daniel Jones situation to Josh Allen's of last year. And it's just a lot to really – would you ever, ever – if any kind of an outlier like that happens, it's so easy for people to grasp on and say, well, that can happen. Plus, we had Tannehill breakout with the Titans after he looked dead. Uh, we're, we're in a real kind of real kind of uh, gray area with, like, quarterbacks and expectations right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, like, uh, in some ways, I feel like the Wentz example, at least, is a good argument to – like, why not re-sign these guys? You you ate a little bit of dead money, but you were able to trade them for what looks like it's going to be a third and a first-round pick yeah. as long as he gets. So that's a guy who was, like, the worst quarterback in the NFL last year, right? So you're able to do that. So I think – but you have, to, you have to, like, have some level of excitement. So I think Josh Allen, if anybody amongst that group, is someone who – 
hit that he hit that ceiling this last year so that no matter how bad he is over the next couple of years, unless it's not like catastrophically bad, no matter how bad he is, someone will be like, you know what, I'm in. I'm in for for a for a first round pick, for a mid first round pick or something like that to go after him. So I, I feel like there's less downside to his to re-signing him than there may be for someone like a Baker Mayfield, where if he falls off a cliff, people may be like, eh, you know, I'm, I'm not. He's like more of the golf sort of throw in in a trade type of type of situation to get off of your hands, but. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the Wentz deal kind of made me re- reassess some of the things with the quarterback contracts because they were able to, you know, they were able to get rid of them. So it was a little bit surprising there. Um, well, actually, one thing I was going to ask about going back to the the Patriots real real quickly is that you know trying to figure out from like this macro perspective of what matters or not. So we have, like I said, the defense coming back. You have uh, a High Tower coming back. You have Chung coming back. You have maybe, maybe Gilmore will start playing better again. You have other guys that you know some rookies they drafted last year that they're bringing in, um, some other signings that they've done. You never want to read too much into defense because of how unstable it is and things like that. But when you see that, when it's someone like Cam Newton who we mentioned, or maybe Lamar Jackson or someone like that, where they're just toast in in this in this game script um if it gets away from them do those defensive signings still mean mean anything and how you might think about the quarterback or the offensive play for the patriots or you're still like you know it's just not worth the time to really to really think about it too much i tend to not go down that rabbit hole just because it's so hard especially for yeah. someone from my stance you know i'm not in the team building stance you know a lot of people you know on twitter will want to be like gms and do team. i try not to go that far down the rabbit hole uh you know of saying how i would want to build my teams and how i would structure it but why this is a good move and why it's a bad move. i will say though when you have one of those types of quarterbacks i mean it, it does kind of force you to kind of push in on being more aggressive on making that side of the ball as great as good as it possibly can be from an objective stance uh just because you're playing one specific style of football and you need it to work um and you know we've seen that kind of with the ravens last year you know they they had some defensive injuries they were a team that had got hit with covid too in the middle of the season uh and then particularly on the offensive line you know having marshall yonder retire and ronnie stanley being injured that was a big kind of hang up too that's led to a lot of problems for lamar uh, regression, which was going to happen anyways. I know people hate that word, but it's true. I mean, if you don't think the Bills are going to regress offensively, I'm sorry. It's just going to happen. <laughs> we just have to live with it. Uh, w- now, d- does that mean that you have to run away and hide in the closet from the, the word regression? No. Uh, you know, we've seen that happen with teams like the Chiefs and the Saints that regress from like all-time seasons, but they just fall back to still being a top-five offense in the NFL. That That's still in the range of outcomes. But I do think when you have uh, that type of quarterback like the Patriots are doing, uh, like the the saints might be doing we don't know and like what the you know the ravens have you are incentivized to try to make the defensive side of the ball as good as possible because you need those games to not get away from you where you have to you know pass your way out of of situations because you just haven't structured your team that way uh yeah so team structure i think and having just an overall philosophy matters a lot so these teams don't even have that we see in free agency uh you you just try to figure out what what's the team identity what their identity is but i do think if you're Offense is tied to one of those types of quarterbacks uh, where there are limitations um, from offensive personnel being able to pass to get uh, to catch up in games that you want to try to invest in the defensive side of the ball. Now, it's harder than it is uh, to do than say, uh, because, you know, even like Belichick, like most of their great defensive signings were guys that were more mid-level range, not the guys that they've gone top dollar for. And that's typically what goes wrong in free agency is very rarely do top-notch echelon players get to just go for free to another team like in the middle of their apex of their career it just rarely happens that's why like one of the biggest numbers misnomers in free agency is 
you, you rarely ever see like top-notch players in the middle of their apex just go and the team say, yeah, you know, go ahead, man, go do that for someone else. Like, that's cool. Uh, it just rarely happens. And typically where you hit in free agency are like you brought up like the Buffalo Bills when you make these low-level signings and mid-range signings like the Patriots did for years on guys that they hit on and, and those guys exceed expectations. Because typically when you're paying for a free agent, it's for a guy that came off of either an outlier season, whether or not remains to be seen if that was what the case with Aguilar or just the guy that has, you know, either been injured or disappointed and they run on those op ends of the spectrum. But very rarely is free agency ever filled with players that are actually at the top of their position in the prime of their career and they can just go change teams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I was gonna I was gonna mention that up top, and I kind of forgot in this receiver discussion that that's kind of one of the the rules, right? Of especially in fantasy football, when you look at free agency and receivers changing teams, is if you're just going to blanket do something, just fade those guys, right? Finally, the 2021 NFL Draft Guide is out with 150 player profiles, everything you need to be on top of things well before we get to April when your team is on the clock. You can get it with an Edge or Elite subscription. Use promo code SUPERBOWL25 and get 25% off those subscriptions. And that promo code is active through Monday after the Super Bowl. That's 25% off an annual Edge or Elite subscription, which includes the 2021 NFL Draft Guide with promo code SUPERBOWL25. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Now last season, we had the changing team thing. We had the free agency somewhat with Robbie Anderson, right? So Robbie Anderson was a guy who who broke out, uh, changing teams, going to the Panthers. Uh, I personally did not see that coming, going to go play with uh, Teddy Bridgewater, but but that that happened. Um, and then you had the changing team, although it was a little bit of a unique situation because you just normally don't see a DeAndre Hopkins type of receiver or a Stephon Diggs type of receiver uh, leave when they're in their, when they're competent, right? Mm-hmm. Like normally it's like a Andre Johnson leaving the Texans and then, and then, you know, just go, just being a ghost running around <laughs> on the field yeah. with, with efficiency in the, in, in the gutter. Um, normally those, those types of moves that you get suckered into because you see the quarterback, and you're like, Oh, he's going to get a better quarterback and he's a, a star player. And then this and that. So do you, do you see any inklings of people getting suckered into, this change this year. Now we have, the problem is we haven't really seen a lot of receivers change it. So we don't even know yet. Like with Will Fuller, we don't know where he's going. We don't know where Kenny Galladay is going unless I missed it. Uh, while, while we're on the, while we're on here, we do know Corey Davis then. So maybe we can talk about this in context of Corey Davis is how we should think about him as someone who's leaving where I guess people may not get too excited because you don't even know who the quarterback is going to be. The only quarterback who they have right now is Sam Darnold. And uh, you know, not, you know, Maybe he could have a Tannehill type of situation going on here because he he does seem like someone who's unwilling to throw to to players who are not completely wide open. So maybe there'll there'll be some of that there. Um, what do you think about Corey Davis? Yeah, the whole encompassing conversation is interesting. I went back to it last year because somehow I got pegged as like the guy that because I did like a, a, an article on like 
wide receivers change teams a while ago or yeah. whatever. And somehow I got brought up every time with in a Diggs conversation, a Hopkins conversation, and more so on the more so you're on the catching, you're like catching some strays every single yeah, time. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 all the time because yeah. like people would try to use me as like a crutch in their argument for one way yeah. or another, and not so much as Diggs, but for Hopkins especially. Yeah, I just kept telling people like that. There's not a lot of examples of guys that have Hopkins resume changing teams. Like this guy's been a locked in wide receiver one that's played with multiple different quarterbacks, like at the, over the course of his career and in changing teams in the, the apex of his career. Like we can't lump him in with guys like Mike Wallace and Dwayne Bowe, like guys that signed in for agency. Like, <laughs> Dwayne Bowe. I remember that. Oh yeah. That was like Dwayne Bowe. And who's the other guy that they brought over in the same, in the same time, uh, the Miami wide receiver, the white guy, I can't remember his name now, but the, oh, yeah, the, the, uh, the Brian the, Hartline. Yeah, Brian Harlan. That was talk about talk about a free agent class from hell. All right, go go ahead. Yeah, but you know, I kept trying to to tell people like you know like there there's still some context here about this. We talk about like very rarely do like great players hit free agency. Very rarely, yeah. and and he wasn't a free agent. DeAndre Hopkins was part of a trade, but you know, changing yeah. teams just as part like letting people know like hey like this is kind of more unique than those other situations. And Diggs was a guy too. I think you could have uh, a lot of conversation about over the course of his career because he was asked to play multiple different positions to start his career at Minnesota with multiple different uh, quarterbacks. You know, this is the guy that played with Teddy Bridgewater, Case Keenum, uh, Sam Bradford, and then Kirk Cousins. Like, he was successful in all, multiple roles, multiple different quarterbacks. So it's easier to see. And then if you take it a step further, the year before, the Bills brought in both Cole Beasley and John Brown, and they both had some of their best seasons with playing with Josh Allen the year before, too. So there was some nuance there that would be involved. Uh, circling back to, you know, just Corey Davis. Well, one, one, one thing real quick on that. One thing quick on that. So I think I think a key there is, um, well, first of all, some people, smart people like Evan, I think like fading DeAndre Hopkins was one of Evan Silva's uh, – uh, mistakes from last year. And I think fading Steph Diggs was probably, I think Adam Levitan may have talked about that as being another one. I think I was kind of fading them a little bit. So there was definitely some mistakes were made there. But I think, and this fits right in with Corey Davis here, is with those guys, right, you have them being productive basically from day one in the NFL. DeAndre Hopkins mm-hmm. struggled a little bit that rookie year, but I remember I was really high on him going to his second year because I liked I liked what I saw from him at least that that first year. Corey Davis was just like, just thud, just uh, nothing, you know, like for multiple seasons. And now he is the guy who has that one breakout year and now moves on and gets the contract and that people may be excited about. So he's really in that opposite bucket. Right. And I think there's some concern there as well. I mean, Corey Davis, his whole career has just been kind of like a, a series of kind of unfortunate events. You know, he came out in a really light draft class over a stretch of period where the college game wasn't producing a lot of influx of talent at the wide receiver position, especially compared to the running back position. He gets that was a wild over. top 10. That was a wild top yeah. 10. Oh, yeah. John, John Ross, Ross, Mike Williams. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that was that was crazy. Number five overall. I mean, that, yeah, that, for, for, for Davis after breaking his foot in the offseason and not going to the combine and being yes. a four, four year player at what was it central michigan or what, yeah that, yeah yeah anyway <laughs> yeah i mean so i mean he, he, he so he probably gets drafted above his station he was always a guy that projected more to be like a better you know 1b or wide receiver two uh and i feel like that's why where he kind of thrived and he had, he had a solid year two with Mariota, but when he really hit a stride this past season i believe is he's best suited to play next to uh, like a true alpha type receiver and his, all his best games came with aj brown on the field it wasn't like you know you go back and you look at the game log and say well he had a target spike when aj brown missed those two games and was playing hurt all his best games came with aj brown on the field uh then you kind of go underneath the hood too and you say well he was just so dynamic in the play action game 
you know, and th th there is going to be some offensive kind of transitional, maybe transitive property there with, you know, kind of, uh, you know, Michael Flores offense, kind of have those Shanahanian roots, uh, you know, being able to throw off play action, because that's where Corey Davis thrived last year. So everything was off play action with him. Uh, but, you know, then you also look at Corey Davis. He has his best season. He had career highs and, you know, catch rate, yards per reception, touchdowns, receptions and yards per game. But then he also still had plenty of low points. He still had six games last year out of 14 where he had fewer than 40 yards. He had two complete games of zeros where he had zeros. And this is a guy that got a $37 million contract. Yeah. Um, you know, and I know it's not really $37 million, so, I mean, to, don't no one throw anything at the, at the screen at that. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know, that's, you know, you he's kind of built to be a wide receiver to a wide receiver one B type. And do the jets have that alpha in place? Can Denzel Mims be that? And then you take it a step further and say, well, what is this quarterback situation? And then we talk about free agent process earlier. Like I would love to know Corey Davis's free agent process. Like is, does he even care about stuff like this? You know, like, is he, what did the jets tell him? Did, or does, does he even care? Does he care if it's Darnold? Does he care if it's a rookie? Does he just want to play in New York? Does he, I would just love to know some of the motivation. Can we throw all these like takes at these initial takes, all these things, but we don't understand what the motivation is for any of this stuff. Um, there's a lot that plays into it, but uh, I would say just from coming from a, an expectation stance, I mean, it still keeps Corey Davis, I think, in a very gray area of not truly understanding what he is at the NFL level, um, you know, by, by this move to this New York Jets, the way it's currently currently constructed uh, with no quarterback in place, the offense kind of changing hands. And they, they kind of are, their signal too is like they kind of want to be a team that plays more structured offense as well, because that's basically every Kyle Shanahan or every Shanahan offense is, uh, you know, wants to be attached to a team that can run play action and do some things like that. So it's going to be interesting. I don't know if there's, a, it's going to be a, a thing where we see like the Corey Davis lift off. Uh, yeah, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here, uh, this is my, my educated guess on what the, the, the motivation was, was, the bag. That was the, that was the motivation. <laughs> I mean, it's still the Jets, right? Like, no matter how much you're into um, Robert Sala and Mike LaFleur and the potential to bring in a uh, Zach Wilson or a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance, who I think is sneaky for number two, but we'll talk about that. We don't need to get into that. Um, no matter how high you are on any of that, it's still the Jets, right? And this is a league where it's like, show me, before we're really going to get excited about about anything. So the Jets, just, the Jets need to show something, I think, before anyone, any free agent is not just <laughs> securing, just, just, just securing the bag at this point. Um, not like he's poor because he was a number five overall pick. So he's he's doing really well compared to when they had this like dramatic exponential decline in salaries once you get outside of those top handful of picks. But still, I think that's part of it. And I think there are, are only hints by the fact that it's taken so long for receivers to sign, other top receivers to sign, is that it's probably not so great out in these streets for wide receivers um, in this year. And I think we're on I think we're on the flip side of the dynamic we saw with Corey Davis in that 20, um, I guess the 2017 draft, 17, yeah. 18, 19, 2017 draft is there were some rough years for drafting wide receivers in that, in, in, in the middle of the decade. And it basically became like the, 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 the accepted wisdom was don't take receivers early because they're all going to bust. I think other than, you know, like Will Fuller and Amari Cooper, to a certain extent, you had your Kevin White, you had your Bashad Perryman, you had your Treadwell. Uh, Devontae, Devontae <laughs> Parker came around a little bit later. Yeah. You had Laquan Treadwells. You had a bunch of guys that were a lot of, a lot of digital ink was spilt <laughs> analyzing these, analyzing <laughs> these guys. And it was just like bust, 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 bust all over the place. Um, so I think because of that, 
the last couple of drafts have been so successful, right? The last couple of wide receiver drafts have become so successful. I wouldn't be surprised if teams are sitting around and saying, you know what, we're just going to take a guy in the second round and he's going to be a starting wide receiver because that's what everyone's been doing the last couple of years. I was going to pick your brain on that when we were going to do the prospect talks. Of, you know, yeah. when originally we were going to talk about prospects and we were talking about Jamar, Jamar Chase, I'm sure. And I was going to actually pick your brain about the Dolphin situation uh, of taking Jamar Chase at three, the expectations of taking a wide receiver at three and what his career needs to be versus, you know, using their later first or top second pick at a wide receiver instead. And, you know, so the, the narrative around the Dolphins seems like we just got to get as many. We have to try to prop you up as much as possible now. Uh, and your take on what you thought about it. Cause you, uh, you're always really good at stuff like that and kind of understanding the playing the value game. It's really easy to say, Hey, the Dolphins need playmakers to market the top receiver. Let's take them at three, but you have all these other avenues to, to kind of make the position better as well, especially in, in, a, in a draft like this that has more depth. Uh, I was really going to pick your brain on that too. And then the game has just changed the NFL. I mean, you know, you, you, you get to work for PFF. So you have access to a lot of data too. I mean, offenses in general, the past three years, uh, three or more wide receivers on 66% of all offensive snaps on passing plays. It goes to 76% of snaps. Uh, last season, uh, teams used four or, my, four or more wide receivers on, you know, almost 900 passing plays. Uh, you know, that was up from what, 815 the year before, 610 in 2018. So like we're just seeing more wide receivers being needed on the field more than ever too. So you need to allocate more position, uh, you know, positional capital to that position uh kind of what you know is lost in the zero rb conversation from a fantasy stance is that that's one of the underlying theses of zero rb is you're taking the position you have to allocate the most roster equity to in using the top capital at that position instead of just not taking running backs uh that yeah, you know a lot yeah. of people just focus on that aspect of it too but it's you know the nfl is, is is really switched to you know you need at least three wide receivers you probably need four to five and when you look at all the current depth charts across the NFL, how many teams can you actually point to and say have three good wide receivers or can go four and five deep? Like a team that's not even that we think is like really that strong from an overall stance, like the Denver Broncos are like one of the few teams that are like good at receiver. Like they actually have good wide receiver depth, but everyone can take a wide receiver. But I didn't kind of get your take on the Dolphins and Jamar Chase thing, uh, considering the position they're in. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting because I, I mean, Eric Eager, who is a, who, who does a data scientist at PFF, he did this article recently, and it was talking about these different systems that you have at different positions, whether or not people call them like a weak link versus a strong link system. So you would think of like a pass rush being a strong link. Like if you have a Miles Garrett, you don't need – everyone else could just be ass on that line. And it, <laughs> it's going to affect it. You know, they can slide. They can chip. They can roll away from him, but he's still going to be able to affect a lot, even if everyone stinks. Whereas the offensive line would be the opposite. It would be a weak link system where you can attack. Like if one guy, if if the left tackle or the right tackle is no good, even if you have four other solid players, uh, your quarterback could be under getting killed under pressure all of the time. You can only scheme around it so much. So the wide receiver, okay, the quarterbacks were thought as being weak link, right? Coverage is being weak link. You find the weak spot in the coverage. And then receivers were thought as being like more of a strong link type of system. But that's starting to change. And I think it's part of what you're talking about, that it isn't this dominant wide receiver one. It isn't you have Calvin Johnson, and then you could just literally have a couple of bodies out there as long as they're occupying one coverage player, it wouldn't matter because you would just feed the ball to Calvin Johnson over and over again. So I think those it's becoming more of a weak link system for the for, for those and those second and third receivers become become important. I think from this draft class, 
you know, I don't really, I, I don't have like a film take on these sorts of things, but I think Jamar Chase does seem to really be that guy, right? If, if there was a, a prospect who is going to fill that role, and we still don't see those guys become available. I know we just talked about Diggs and uh, Hopkins becoming available, but really you still don't see those wide receiver one type of guys hit the market. Uh, where I would be scared this year is I'm seeing a lot of people get really excited about Elijah Moore or Rondell Moore or these mm-hmm. other guys, and I'm kind of like, eh, isn't there another guy you can just take like four rounds later who's 175 pounds and 5'9 that you could <laughs> that you could have in that type of role? So those are the guys that I would get a little bit more worried about. Maybe for Jamar Chase, maybe Rashad Bateman, uh, if you think that he could really be that guy. I, I could, I, I'm, not, I'm not worried about spending the, the big capital on them. Um, but it would really be like the replaceability of those second and, and third options in the first round, I think would be a mistake. Of course, when we're going to Miami, you know, I'm still in on them taking a quarterback. <laughs> I was saying that before I'm still in on it. I remember looking through this draft mock draft database that uh, Benjamin Robinson has is grinding the mocks where he puts together all of the, the mock drafts from experts and media. In other words, I don't think, I don't think there's a single draft in there with, the Dolphins taking a quarterback. Maybe we at PFF had one before. Um, I don't think there's a single one, and that kind of shocks me because you you may. I mean, that's not your pick for Miami, right? You're never. You're not going to be in this top three. You'd think for a very long time in a draft where the third quarterback taken could be the first quarterback taken in another draft. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, that's what's interesting too. Like we said, we talk about the, the contract. Just what are teams willing to do now? I would love to see a team do that. Just, yeah. you know, I would love to see it happen. I think it's not, I don't even think it's bad business at all. The, the internet would melt, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I, I'm of the same opinion of you. It had a little bit of momentum, like this whole draft another quarterback, and it's kind of fallen away. Like, I haven't heard anyone talking about it, which maybe the behind the scenes buzz is like Miami's not interested at all in, in doing something like that. So, yeah. I, I, I but if they're not taking a quarterback, they should trade out, right? That should be the. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Obviously, I mean, that's easier to be said than done. So you need a, a dance partner that's willing to pay that price. But uh, you know, if you're not taking quarterback there, you got to sell that pick. Like that's like someone needs to come up and take quarterback. Yeah, um, I, I think you can find someone this year. I mean, that that's the big problem when people look at. I mean, let's look. Let's forget about how bad the picks were, but um, like the Raiders when they were drafting at four a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, they, they took that edge player. I can't remember what his name is now. But um, everyone was like, well, why didn't you just trade out? Well, nobody wanted to trade up to get a quarterback yeah. there. You know, the Giants were perfectly content to say, we're going to let Daniel Jones fall to us at, at six, and we're not going to move up to four when nobody wants a quarterback. So I, I do think the, the, the draft capital, those charts, when you put together the charts for what you need to get up into that range, ends up being so enormous that – uh, sometimes teams can't trade off, trade out from there, even if they're not taking a great player, be, a player who they love, because no one like it's just not going to mesh up. They'd have to take a very low return for a trade like that, and and no one's willing to to do it. Uh, let's talk running backs real fast. And this, okay, let's put together running backs don't matter. Okay, so that I think I think we're all kind of in general agreement about about that. And then when Carlos Hyde gets signed by. The Jaguars, everyone's saying this guy sucks and there's no chance that he's going to to eat into James Robinson's workload. Because in my opinion, those two things don't go together, right? Like if running backs don't matter, then just having another competent body who's going to compete with a UDFA should be worrisome 
at least to a larger degree than some other people think so. What do you think? And I know you're someone who was in on James Robinson last year, so I don't expect you to be unbiased in this in, in this in this discussion. Assuming you have him, you're, you you have him on the books in a few dynasty teams. Yeah, I mean, I think James Robinson is. I don't even need to play the undrafted card. Like a lot of people are saying, well, Thomas Rawls and you know Dominic Rhodes and Philip Lindsay. I don't think you need to play that. You just you, you just look at James Robinson's workload. And it's just not sustainable for a running back to roll that over year over year. Yeah. Like there's yeah, just, yeah. there's, there's just, I, that's the easiest paradigm for James Robinson. I don't need to go and play the undrafted card and they're going to bring competition. I can just say that guy is not going to get 80% of the backfield touches. Again, it just doesn't happen in the NFL. And what happened to James Robinson at the end of last year when they gave him 80% of the backfield touches weekly, he broke down. Uh, and, you know, he's the missed, he's missed multiple weeks to end the season. I mean, there's just no way and under any circumstances that like, he's just going to roll over that workload. And when you have a player that's not particularly doing anything electric with that workload, and I don't want to say James Robinson did anything bad either. He was completely you know, adequate and, and above par in, in, a, in a number of metrics. Um, but, you know, a lot of it was based on how often he was on the field, how often he was getting the football uh, for him, the way he accrued fantasy points. And, the, and it's just when you pair that with, there's no way he's going to roll that over, no matter who they bring in, whether it's a guy you hate, love, or a rookie, uh, he just wasn't going to, he's not going to sustain that workload. And and that's the easiest path to saying, yeah, I'm out on this guy or I can sell high or, you know, it's just good process anyways to, to sell running backs anyways in Dynasty, especially guys that you hit on with fourth round rookie picks. I'm always going to try to trade up like that, you know, and use that to, to buy years on a, on a position that's just has more leverage and more sustainability. So I've been trying. The problem is, is that obviously everyone in the fantasy analysis world is telling you to sell James Robinson too. So nobody's willing to give you anything. It's the same thing we did AJ Dillon for a couple weeks. Everyone's like, you have to sell AJ Dillon. You have to sell him. You have to sell him. Well, and everyone knows that you're not going to get anyone to really offer you anything. Uh, you know, right. it's, they're reading the same stuff and hearing the same stuff. So I actually, yeah, I have had eight teams that had James Robinson last year. Uh, uh, I've sold him twice. And it's mostly just me just getting crummy offers and not being able to get what I, you know, willing to sell for, even if it's a little bit under market, because like I said, I just believe it's a good process to sell running backs like that anyways, no matter who they are, if I believe he's going to be good in the following season or not, I'm just going to take my profit and get out. Uh, but yeah, the easiest paradigm for James Robinson has nothing really related to what the, who the Jaguars bring in and the previous undrafted guys that all have like, like sample is filled with nuanced stuff too. We can't just use that as a blanket of, bit of analysis either it's just that we can absolutely look at james robinson's workload his share of running back touches and looking at the history of running back touches even for guys that had type workload and guys just don't roll that type of usage over year over year uh and when they do they don't stay healthy uh we even seen that with christian mccaffrey last year i know that, that you can't signal to just his workload being happened but like th- those injuries were kind of fluky that he had but again like you said you just don't roll year over year having that amount of backfield touches uh so i mean that's the easiest teardown for james robinson for me yeah i mean even if it is an accumulation thing like if you have 50 you know if you have 15 percent more opportunities to get injured you, you know even as a baseline you're going to get injured 15 percent more often than than another player with, with the same sort of circumstance yeah so is there any positivity around the offense there with trevor lawrence coming in i mean normally we'd say no generational prospect, all that sort of stuff. Well, what do you think about a rookie coming in? Because a rookie, again, that would, this would be another, we generally, we get too excited about rookie quarterbacks and what they're mm-hmm. going to do. But now it's, you know, everyone kind of knows that. So or, is it possible? I mean, I, I think in drafts right now, I want to say that 
Lawrence is like QB 13 or 14 or something like that. So that's pretty high for, for a rookie in a, in a fairly deep quarterback market. What do you think? Yeah, and I think we saw like that happen with Burrow last year too, and he was completely fine in the context of rookie quarterback. So just because our scoring was so high in general last year, Burrow never really cracked in. Well, he threw the ball like eighty times a game to start <laughs> yeah, the season all those, too. Yeah, all yeah. those dropbacks. I mean, Lawrence has that. He's got that sneaky athleticism too. You know, he comes with that. What you want that? Because you never want like I always get the Konami code thing brought up all the time, and it, and that was originally written for more of like a floor base. People don't understand like the floor these guys providing, but when these dual guys, when you couldn't, when the rushing comes with the passing ceiling, that's when you get these types of, of entities that we have now that have just kind of broken the position and kind of made late round quarterback even harder just because that specific, specific subset of quarterbacks is has such an edge now. Um, and Lawrence kind of is in that mold. He's not a pure runner, but he does come with a, a good amount of athleticism uh, and rushing performances. I mean, he's 56 percentile in my model uh, for career rushing performance, the raw quarterbacks in 2000. Uh, so, I mean, he does give you a little bit with the legs and he's a pass first guy. So there's a ceiling is there, like you said, though, it's just so talent rich, uh, the position for fantasy and even this draft class from a mobility stance, like every guy here offers something with their legs from fields to Wilson, to Lance, like the top four guys all offer something. So if you're taking a rookie quarterback, why not just take one of the cheaper guys that offer that? I mean, that's you know. what I've been doing. I've been getting a <laughs> yeah. lot of Trey Lance late, late in these drafts. I mean, maybe he doesn't play, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I that, I agree totally with that with that route to take, and especially Fields and Lance that uh, we know like they are going to run. Like, yeah, I I could bring up the athleticism for Wilson and Lawrence, and they offer rushing upside, but they're still not guys that are just going to run. Uh, they're yeah, guys yeah. That Wilson are, is like two hundred <laughs> pounds or something, and yes. Lawrence again extremely athletic but you know six five ish sort of sort of guy not exactly your you know uh he, he doesn't have like that josh allen 250 pound frame to go with the six mm-hmm. five body and even herbert like he added that mobility you got by the best of both worlds that's but he didn't like give you a ton of rushing on the ground it was yeah. just enough yeah. it was just enough to go with hey this guy ran into an all-time rookie passing, passing season that that little extra three points a game rushing really you know kind of mattered and got well and he was able to perform (laughs) under pressure maybe unsustainably but you can't perform under pressure like that it's really difficult if you can't move at all yeah and that's the the, you know the mac jones kind of hanging up it's just so hard for me to get on board it's just because the way the nfl is is structured the way fantasy football scoring is structured now when you look at it like last year aaron Rodgers and tom brady are the only two quarterbacks uh in the top 12 that have single digit percentage of their fantasy points come via rushing and you think of the season, think of the season Rodgers had. That dude had an almost perfect fantasy season and still wasn't even the best fantasy quarterback. Yeah, like, yeah. it's just it's just the way a game is scored. It's just so hard. Mm-hmm. And, it, and you have to, your margin for error on the passing only guys is just, is just so much wider. Like, it's just, I mean, it's, you have to, you have to, to really hit that, that bullseye on those guys to have a season to run into a guy like Rogers. So even Brady had a really phenomenal season. I mean, throwing four passing touchdowns. Um, so you just, it's just really hard to, to, to take a guy like Mac Jones and understand like, Hey, this guy has to hit a passing ceiling only for me to get my fantasy equity out of. It's just, it's tough. Okay. Well, we, we haven't seen a lot m- much else at running back. Um, I was actually starting to warm a little bit to AJ Dillon or RIP. Um, that, that was one week of, of, uh, of mis misadventure in drafts there. Um, okay. So here, let me think about it. So Aaron Jones last year, 
I think there was credible reasons to fade him because you know Jamal Williams is there. Uh, they they brought in the they brought in the rookie. Uh, AJ Dillon did squat uh, as a rookie. Um, it's about as little as you could do for like a second second round round pick coming in. Is there any chance we should be more worried about Aaron Jones this year while we're probably less worried about Aaron Jones this year? Um, maybe. I mean, last year I thought too, yeah, it was easy to come at 19 touchdown season. Like, yeah. And then you just look at his workload. He's never been, in the context of his peers, been had those type of touch counts. I mean, even the past years, he's been, what, 14th and 12th in touches per game at the running back position, which is, you know, it's fine. It's it's solid amount of touches you're getting per game, but he's it's not like he's ever pushing to be the top guy. He's relied more on efficiency. Now, the thing that I think helps him, though, in this situation, it's not just a big contract. It's the fact that Jamal Williams is coming back. Yeah. Uh, even in games that Jamal Williams played, Jamal Williams was running um, a pass route about 35% of the team dropbacks. He's playing in every two-minute drill. Jamal Williams was their two-minute back. Now, with A.J. Dillon now being the backup, it's hard to see A.J. Dillon taking those Jamal Williams snaps. Right. It's really hard from his archetype. So that maybe offers a little bit more opportunity for Aaron Jones to be a little bit more involved in the passing game and tack on some of that passing, you know, kind of acumen onto his game. And he's already been a good pass catcher over the course of his career. He's gotten better basically every year. The only question is eventually did the Packers kind of get religion on this, you know, getting caught up in the archetype of AJ Dillon start giving him goal line carries. That's like the one worry you say like, well, we've got this guy we're not using. He's built like Brad Jacobs and he's running, you know, four under four, four forty, like, we should probably start banging this guy, right, and getting uh, uh, alleviating Aaron Jones's, you know, touches in that, in those uh, situations in games, letting our big back take some of those. Uh, it didn't happen the rookie year. I think that's what a lot of people were saying. Well, this is an easy way for him to get that natural touchdown regression, as they're going to start using this guy near the goal line. They didn't. It still remains to be seen if they will. But I think Jamal Williams leaving um, as part of the process does open the door for Aaron Jones to kind of get more opportunity in those situations. He was getting removed, uh, in the game from. So is he a first round guy for you now in a, in a, in drafts where I'm seeing like cam acres go ahead of wide receiver three. I think it would depend on just how I'm approaching that draft and team structure. I think if I'm going Aaron Jones, I still want to be in a situation where I'm doubling it up at running back. I'm double dipping running back early, not just counting on Aaron Jones to be my like stalwart RB1. Uh, although I think he's fine. He can get there. He's, he's shown that type of ceiling because I still just don't think the Packers are going to give him 290 touches. I still don't yeah. really believe that's an outcome either. Whereas, you know, you talk about first round running backs and taking first round running backs, you're just playing the opportunity game with a lot of those guys. You're like, yeah, listen, I'm just going to keep, I'm going to push the Jonathan Taylor button because I know like this is where the touches are going to be or Ezekiel and stuff like that. That's where why you take those guys. So like Aaron Jones falls a tier below that guy and he's not a guy like Alvin Kamara that's going to push 80 receptions, even getting 50 plus receptions. So I still think when I'm taking Aaron Jones as a first time running back, it's going to be a situation where I'm completely double dipping and not, you know, splitting the bill, going wide receiver, tight end, uh, you know, around that turn. Yeah, yeah, and I think Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm right on this stat, but I think he may have led the league in like one yard touchdown passes last year, uh, somewhere around like eight to ten or something like that. So that's another area where you can maybe pick up here. All right, so l- just to wrap up here, the one like, maybe one one last overarching point because we don't need to get into the players that are signed here uh, for free agency. Um, now that we remember, we're actually talking about free agency. I'm not sure if we have for the last <laughs> twenty minutes, but it's the way um, it goes. 
Yeah. Okay. For offensive line, do we care when we hear anything about offensive line that we're that we're hearing here? Whether it be for the running backs, whether it be for the quarterbacks, whether it be for the offense, because interior offensive line in particular is one of the most popular positions in free agency. Uh, I believe because of the fact that the there's only one there's only like one franchise tag for for the offensive line. Those should almost always be used on tackles, although we've seen them used on guards uh, in the last couple of years and going forth. But so we have, you know, Zeitler coming to uh, the Ravens. We have uh, Joe, Joe, Joe Thune coming to the Chiefs, which is kind of a weird situation going on there. I don't know what they're doing over there, quite honestly, um, going into the Chiefs. Like, did, did any of these moves make, you know, move the needle at all for you, being that it is on the offensive side of the ball and it's real money being spent here? Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough for me. I have no offensive line acumen uh, of understanding what is good offensive line play. And you don't not. follow I mean, O-line I, Twitter? O-line Twitter is really the it's the place to be, let me tell you. I mean, there's not much. And, and honestly, we don't have a lot of great you know metrics, too, from our background, like things that you and I yeah. would like to incorporate into our analysis. Like, there's just not a lot of great offensive line metrics to really kind of use, even on, on an individual player level and on a team-based level. And it's a unit. Like, it, like you kind of brought up earlier, like, you know, the weak link versus strong link. You know, you can have four golf linemen, one bad offensive lineman. Does it hurt your, your grade? Does it hurt your stats? Uh, it operates as a unit. I tend not to go that deeply into it. Obviously, I can look at it from like maybe like a replaceable stance. Like you can look at, uh, you know, uh, like the like the Chargers signing like Corey Lindsley, the center they had uh, previously. Uh, I, his name is, uh, is, is evading me right now on the tip of my tongue. But you, I can look at his pressure stats and see like, he was at the bottom of the league allowing pressures and Corey Lindsay is at the top of the league. They right. probably upgraded there. Like yeah, I can yeah. say like that, but like, I'm just not educated enough to, to diagnose offensive line play, especially individual offensive line play. And I'm not sure how much individual offensive line play in the context of co- offensive line cohesion, like makes offensive line better or worse in totality either. But we know that it like still does matter. Like you look at the Brown situation, Last year, they had two tackles in the, in the bottom of the league in terms of line pressure and sacks. They replaced both those guys last year, and, you know, it, it helps improve the offensive mentality in Baker Mayfield. Uh, so we know it matters. It's just really hard to diagnose, and I try not to get caught too much in the weeds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the past, the Browns have brought in Kevin Zeitler, who they then lost, and they brought in J.C. Treader, which is just, it's kind of interesting. Like, Treader was there as the center for Green Bay, and then – uh, now, Lindsley, it's like certain certain offensive lines just seem to work for some reason. No matter no matter who they're putting in there, and others, you you sign the one guy, and it like you still literally can have the worst offensive line in the NFL. Even there's after so bringing much, in a big signing, there's so much volatility year over year too. I mean, you look at like a guy like the Browns and Wyatt Teller was awesome last year. And the year before, like uh, all the metrics that we have at our like shows he wasn't any good. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's almost like uh, bullpens in like Major League Baseball. Like you, you run hot and you run cold. There's less, a lot of year over year variance. It's hard to it's hard to know. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, yeah, well, we'll see what happens with the Chiefs. I'm a little bit um, I'm not really happy as someone who wants to see the Chiefs do well to see them spend 16 million a year on a guard, um, but. They've been able to patch things together so far, so maybe that will continue this season. All right, well, I'm going to let you go, Rich. Uh, they can follow you on Twitter. Is it at Rich Rebar? No, at Lord Reeves. Excuse yep, me. I, I, was, I almost forgot. <laughs> They're not Roto Reeves, which was the one of the, no, the, most contra- the most controversial saves there. And then, of course, your analysis, sharp, sharp football analysis. You know what? I may just or go ahead. I mean, I love our discussion, so I may just go ahead and bug you to come back on in a few weeks to talk wide receivers or running backs or something anyway and modeling once I'm kind 
kind of putting in these pro day stuff. Once we drag through all these pro days and we have some of that going forward, uh, I, I may call to I may call you to to waste another hour of your time, and, and we'll, we'll talk on that. Yeah, yeah, please do, man. I'm excited to fire off these hot rookie takes because that's all. That's what this time of year is, right? Just trying to flag yes. plant rookies. Isn't that what's developed over the the course? Of oh the yeah, yeah, year? yeah. And then and then you know, <laughs> plant enough flags so then you can claim the winners and just ignore the fact that you were the, of the losers or the losers were, weren't your fault. It was like a fit situation, coaching situation, and then the winners go 100 percent to you. Is what I, how I always like to look at it. Yeah, if you do, because uh, I am uh, kind of in the opinion of I think where you were leaning towards is that I actually think that the context of this this wide receiver class is a little overrated so uh, i like it i like it <laughs> so yeah I, like it. I think the running backs are actually a little bit better than some people have thought too but anyway well we'll we'll, we'll, we'll yeah, see yeah. Well, well we'll get into that we'll get into that down the road but uh thank you so much my friend and everyone listening of course you know if you get the chance rate and review uh the pod and we'll be talking at you again next week thanks